Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi everyone and welcome back to the Tuesday Night Podcast Club. I'm your host Jess and this week I'm going to be talking about the Disappearances podcast, a podcast original with Sarah Tenney. Disappearances podcast is hosted by Sarah Turney. If you're unfamiliar with her, she's a legend in the true crime world. Her original podcast was Voices for Justice, which she created to advocate for her missing sister, Alyssa Turney, who vanished from their family home in Phoenix, Arizona, in May of 2001, aged just 17. Sarah used her growing platform to get police to actively investigate the disappearance of Alyssa who at this point was presumed dead. After 19 years, in 2020, Sarah was finally able to assist the police through her own investigating of her own father and Alyssa's stepfather, Michael Turney, charged with the second-degree murder of Alyssa. Of course, this is doubly tragic for Sarah, given she's now essentially lost a sister and a father, but she's literally worked tirelessly to bring justice to Melissa's case. And since the arrest, she's used her platform to advocate for other missing people. She does this on both her own show, Voices for Justice, in a more series format, where she focuses on a case for a couple of episodes. And for podcast on disappearances, in a more case-by-episode basis. She hasn't spoke much recently about Alyssa's case as her father's still pending trial and it would be unwise for her to speak on the topic and jeopardise the outcome of the case. Disappearances tells the story of missing people throughout time and across the world and it usually focuses, like I say, on one case and episode. However, this one is slightly different. Since listening to episode 17 when it was released, I've felt so angry and so helpless. Angry at the crisis that is happening to the two people Sarah tells us about, the people I've sad researched and the thousands more in this crisis and helpless because there's nothing I can do about it except talk. Talk to you and everyone I know about how incensed I am at the treatment of the victims and the families of missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls in the United States of America. First of all, Sarah tells us the stories of two missing Indigenous people, a woman and a young girl. I'm going to quickly like recap those stories, um, obviously not in the detail that Sarah goes into, but just the main facts. So, Aubrey Dameron was 25 years old when she disappeared in 2019 from her family home in Grove, Oklahoma. 
she was part of the Cherokee Nation and a two-spirit. Aubrey had come out as trans as a teen, and sadly, but not uncommonly, she was bullied to a point she no longer felt safe attending school. She was supported and loved by her family, and over the years she became a fixture and a leader in local LGBTQIA plus communities. On March 9th of 2019, at 3am, she contacted a couple of friends over Facebook Messenger, asking for a ride, but to an undisclosed location, and as it was 3am, no one responded. Around the same time, Aubrey's mum did see her leave the home on foot, and on her way out, she mentioned going to meet someone, but not her. And as she was an adult, her mum didn't see the right nor reason to stop her coming and going as she pleased. In the light of day, and knowing what we know now, I'm sure her mum realised that leaving on foot at 3am in a relatively rural area wasn't a great idea, and she would have done all she could to stop her, but unfortunately, that was the last known sighting of Aubrey, who remains missing today. Her family do fear that she was the victim of a hate crime, however, the reason is unclear whether it was racial, homophobic or transphobic. However, as Aubrey is still missing, we've got no idea what happened to her. Antoinette Ayadita was nine years old in 1986 when she disappeared from her family home in Gallup, New Mexico. She was of Navajo descent and lived in an apartment with her mother and two younger sisters. As the oldest child in a single-parent family, Antoinette was wise beyond her years. So when the door persistently knocked at 3am on April the 6th of 1986, and the voice on the other side announced themselves as an Uncle Joe. She didn't bother waking up her mum, and she sent her six-year-old sister Wendy back to bed and answered the door. When her mum Penny woke up the next morning, Anthony was gone, and again remains missing today. Two reported sightings of Anthony were made. One was a phone call to the police a year later, where a young girl identified herself as Anthony and asked for help. But then she was interrupted by a male voice who was asking who said she could use the phone and a scuffle could be heard. The call was then disconnected and never traced as it was less than one minute long. But it was later confirmed to be Antoinette's voice by her mother. A second sight earned four years after the disappearance was when a diner waitress claims to have been serving a dishevelled couple and what she believed to be their teenage daughter the girl continually dropped a cutlery and squoze the hand of the waitress every time she picked it back up. After they left, she found a note under the girl's plate that said, help me call the police. The waitress claims it was Anthony Kayadita, but the couple or girl have never been located. Obviously, these stories are horrifically tragic. But what's even more tragic is... They are a drop in the ocean compared to the amount of cases of missing and murdered Indigenous women throughout the United States of America on and off tribal land. So, of course, I'm going crazy at this. It's heartbreaking. So, I've done a massive rabbit hole into all the information about this epidemic and... I'm going to just share some of that with you now. So obviously, if you're a human, 
you're screaming what I'm screaming. Why are they unsolved? Why haven't I heard of them before? Why aren't the police doing anything about it? Oh, that's where it gets messed up. So, being non-American myself, their laws aren't something I know. Inside out, or on top of that, they change state by state. So, who even knows? But I have side research, so bear with me. And I'll try to explain where and why loopholes exist that keep letting these women and girls fall through the cracks. In 1978, a Supreme Court case, Oliphant v. Suquamish, stripped tribes of the rights to arrest and prosecute non-Indigenous people who commit crimes on Indigenous land. If the victim and perpetrator are non-Indigenous, a county or state officer must make the arrest. If the perpetrator is non-Indigenous and the victim is, only a certified federal official hundreds of miles away in a fancy inner city office can make the arrest. And if the opposite is the case, a tribal officer can make the arrest, but the case still has to go to state court. The long and short of it is, someone so far removed from the realities of life and crime on and around Indigenous land, who honestly has no time nor wants to head out to the tribal communities, is the only one who can hold non-Indigenous people accountable for crimes against Indigenous. I know this is complicated and honestly I feel like it's meant to be. It's tragic and it's all in all unacceptable and has to change. So I'm coming with that, yeah, with all the facts today, but here we go. In 2011, the US Justice Department did not prosecute 65% of cases reported on reservations. According to that department's records, one in three Native women are raped during a lifetime. Two and a half times the likelihood of an average American woman. And 86% of these cases, the assailants non-Indigenous. And the growth of the oil industry also poses a threat to the Indigenous communities. This is outlined in a documentary about missing and murdered Indigenous women called Sisters Rising which is also key to go and watch to understand this epidemic further. Sarah tells us a case from this documentary of an Indigenous woman named Lisa Burton, who tells us the story of her teenage daughter, who was attacked by four non-natives living and working on the oil fields that were on the reservation. They planned her abduction and assault. They didn't even bother to hide the faces. The new jurisdiction laws would protect them. They knew they'd get away with it. And they did. In the first year after the oil fields were established in their area, the local registered sex offenders jumped from 48 to 600. These loopholes not only existed, but are well known and well taken advantage of by non-Indigenous people. It's wrong and it's got to give. In 2021, Oklahoma and Aubrey Dameron's local representative, Daniel Pay, presented House Bill 1790 to the House for consideration. This was named Aubrey's Law and would create an Aubrey Alert, much like the Amber Alert for missing children, except this alert would signify vulnerable adults that were missing from Indigenous people to disabled people and those with high-risk occupations. So, of course, this is amazing progress, but as always, it's two steps forward and one step back. 
Sarah tells us that at time of her recording in December of 2021, that the house bill only had until the 9th of Feb 2022, which is the day after my episode is released, to be spoken about before it's completely off the table and scrapped forever. If you are in the States, she and I ask that you contact your local representative and encourage them to support House Bill 1790, which I do believe in January was brought to the floor, but I'm not 100% sure if any action's been taken since. The law was originally named for Aubrey, but has since been renamed for another missing Indigenous woman and is now known as Casey's Law. Since Daniel Pay was informed, by lawmaking officials that he would never have a law passed that was named in honour of a trans person. I'm not even going to tell you how angry that makes me because I'll just rant all week. You know that's disgusting. I know that's disgusting. The people saying that they wouldn't do it, wouldn't pass it, know that that's disgusting. So they should just be ashamed of themselves. Sarah literally says when it comes to Indigenous women, girls and two spirits, time is of the essence. These people are literally considered endangered when they're abducted. Authorities call them critically missing because the likelihood of them making a home is so slim. So obviously at this point, I need to go and have a lie down because I'm just angry and sad. But I did do even more research down that rabbit hole and found even more horrific statistics that I couldn't not share. The Wyoming Missing and Murdered Indigenous People report ran from 2011 to September 2020, the first of its kind, and found that in Wyoming, 710 Indigenous people were reported missing in this time. Indigenous homicide victims accounted for 21% of all homicide victims, but only 3% of the population. White homicide victims were more likely to receive media coverage, and when Indigenous people do, it's more likely to betray them in a negative light, practically victim-blaming. In 2008, the US Justice Department found Indigenous women on tribal lands are killed at 10 times the national average. 2018 Urban Indian Health Report outlined a country-wide data crisis where over 71 cities identified over 500 missing people and at least 150 whose reports weren't even existent on any law enforcement database. Not even the bare minimum. And finally, almost 90% of crimes committed against Indigenous people are committed by non-natives. So this all ends with what can we do to help? If you live in the US, you can sign every single petition you say. You can write to your local lawmakers and politicians until you have to listen. Anywhere else, talk about it. Tell people their stories. Because Aubrey, Anthonette, Casey, the women I'm about to tell you about, and the thousands others are not just numbers. They don't deserve to be another statistic. They're all beautiful, talented, and loved in their own unique ways and deserve to come back home. So I know I've already mentioned it a hundred times and I promise I'll stop ranting soon but talking and researching this epidemic is going to help get word out about more of these cases and not just those of non-Indigenous Americans we do see in the news outlets. 
So I've took Sarah's advice and not only looked at the numbers, but countless other missing and murdered cases of Indigenous women and girls that have none or next to no justice in their cases so far. And I want to share a couple more with you now before we finish up this week's episode. Maybe the reason true crime shows don't usually cover a whole lot of these cases is down to the fact that so little of it is mentioned in the news media. So there aren't always many facts out there. On March 24th of 2020, as the UK was beginning our first national lockdown, Pepita Redhair, 27 years old of the Navajo Nation, left her family's home in Crown Point, New Mexico to go and spend a few days at a boyfriend's house in Albuquerque. Three days later, when her mother Anita texted her to see how she was doing, Pepita didn't respond. And Pepita always responded. A few days later, when she texted Pepita again, a man texted back to say that someone had sold him the phone. That's when she decided to file a missing persons report. But almost two years later, she still hasn't got any answers. On October 2nd of 2018, Rosenda Strong, a mother of four from Washington, who was of Yakama Nation descent, went missing after getting a ride with an acquaintance to a nearby Legends Casino in Toppenish. Her remains were found in an abandoned freezer outside of Toppenish on July 4th of 2019, ten months later. Again, her disappearance was never taken seriously and the case of her murder remains unsolved today. On April 20th of 2014, Melanie James was last seen by her sister walking on Butland Avenue with an African-American male. She did not recognise the male and by the time her sister was able to turn the car around, they were gone. Melanie's family has not seen or heard from her since. They'd often go days or even weeks without hearing from her but by June it had been close to two months since anyone had heard from her, which was out of character. Her mum called the Farmington Police Department on June 12th of 2014 to report her daughter as a missing person. It's eight years this year without sighting. Roberta Jean Rains, aged 37, of Yamaka County, was last seen in July of 2001 with a man who had told authorities that he last saw her in Mexico. This man was later arrested for shooting and killing someone and fleeing to Mexico. He told investigators she left him once they were there. Her missing person case remains open with the Toppenish Police Department today. All of these cases mentioned have less than five news articles. Some barely have one. Just a line on a missing and murdered Indigenous people website mentioning the bare minimum I've scrounged together. It's not good enough. It's breaking my heart. And it needs attention. Because without attention, it'll continue to be brushed under the rug. And nothing will change. I am sorry about the rant today, guys. It's just so important. And I want to cover so many different types of podcasts. And this one's just got such an important message that it's hard to ignore. So, that being said, let's get into rating the Disappearances podcast, the Tuesday Night Podcast Club scale. So, I'm going to give the Disappearances podcast a five on the scale, which is go binge right now. It is so interesting and so important. If you're into true crime, you'll love it. 
If not, it might not be the podcast for you, but I'd still give it a go because it tells important stories. You can find it on Spotify. It's a podcast original, so I think it's only available there, but it's definitely worth a listen. This was episode 17, but there's about 30 episodes out up to now and they're all amazing stories. Definitely head over there and give them a listen. Thank you so much for listening to episode two of the Tuesday Night Podcast Club. You can follow the podcast on Instagram and Twitter at Tuesday Night Pod. Please remember to do all the usual, follow, subscribe, rate, review, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And hopefully I'll see you next week. Bye. Thank you.